Now let, let us now turn to the message today. So there are these certain expressions that try and help us explain things that are vastly different from one another. Think about it. You have cats and dogs, right? We'll say, oh, they're like cats and dogs. Or, or there are things like, oh yeah, it's as different as black and white, right? But sometimes these sayings are ironic and they don't make a whole lot of sense when you start to think about them, like jumbo shrimp <laughs> or dwarf planet. I don't know. Uh, but then there are things that also just do not mix. These opposing things that no matter how much you want them to mix, they don't mix. You have like oil and water, right? You can't emulsify. It, it, it cannot mix. And then there's the big kahuna of them all, war and peace. Leo Tolstoy wrote the book, War and Peace. It's a book that's widely regarded a literary classic, considered to be in the top tier of novels of ever written. Now, Tolstoy, he wanted to give a snapshot of the whole scope of human history, choosing the title War and Peace, believing these two opposite poles encompass the total human experience. Now, not to disagree with Leo Tolstoy, but while war and peace certainly cover a wide spectrum, the reality is these are smaller symptoms to the greater all-captivating boundaries in which we live. Today, of course, we are talking about sin and grace. Why don't you say that? Sin and grace. Now, last week, Pastor Curry from the hat pulled out, and he did an expert job on bringing us through revelations and the seals. And, and he, he helped it come to life for us, help us understand the realities of this final and this last judgment, right? And, and many of you, I heard from you, you said it was such a captivating, powerful message. It was, it was so informative and helpful, and, and, but, but the problem is it left this feeling in our gut because it's a hard message for us to hear. And that's exactly right. It is. It should be. This is the weighty, heavy stuff. And I love that you got to preach on that as a precursor to what I get to preach on today because I think it's the appropriate and necessary backdrop as we discuss sin and grace. In talking about sin and grace, I dare say most of us overemphasize one over the other. And today we'll focus on why we need to have a strong, and a deep understanding of both. So if you have your Bibles, I hope you do. I encourage you to turn to John chapter 5, verses 2 through 9. And that is right. I said John 5, 2 through 9. You're like, hmm, that's interesting. We'll talk about it. John 5, 2 through 9. From the true word of the Lord. Let's hear what God has in store for us today. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, in Aramaic, it's called Bethsaida, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another will step 
down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. God had his blessing to the reading of his word. Huh, sin and grace. All of scripture to, to, to play with, and that's where you lead off. Interesting. Consider the man. Consider the man completely and utterly helpless in a sea of others no better off than him. No one wants to help this man. No one can help this man. Whatever hope of getting better he had completely dried up long ago. And the hope he once held on to, it was a false hope. See, all these people would sit there believing that as the waters are stirred up, that if they jump in the pool, that they're going to miraculously be healed. But this is a false hope. And he is so deep in his 38 years of helplessness and hopelessness that when Jesus asks him if he wants to be healed, he doesn't even know the answer. He doesn't even answer him directly. It's almost as if the very notion of being better escaped him long ago. There's nothing this man can do on his own to be better. What does this have to do with sin and grace? This man is all of us. Because of sin, we are all completely helpless and hopeless as this man is. We are just as unable to do anything, to pull ourselves out of sin, just as this man is as unable to get up and walk on his own. The moment sin entered God's good and perfect creation, it corrupted all of creation. There is no corner of this creation that the taint of sin has not touched. None are exempt from it. None can escape it. As it says in Romans 5, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death came to all people because all sinned. Sin, traced back to that first act of disobedience in the garden, is not merely an external force. It is also an intrinsic part of the human existence. As Romans 7, 18 reminds us, it is not confined to actions, but penetrates the very core of our being, distorting our thoughts, our desires, and our motives. The power of sin, in other words, is insidious, and it weaves a tangled web that ensnares even the most seemingly righteous of hearts. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful, above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? One pastor, in trying to explain this to his congregation, put it this way. He said, I'm not hiding any secrets. I'm not covering anything up here, but I am about five minutes from completely destroying my life. (laughs) Think about that for a second. Isn't that true for any of us? We're all about five minutes away from destroying our lives. 
Now, I actually consider this guy, he must have been like a saint or something, because quite frankly, I'm probably about one minute away from destroying my life, right? That can be true of all of us. Tim Keller helps it frame it in another way to make it go a little deeper. Tim Keller wrote this, the seeds of the most terrible possible atrocities, the capability of the worst possible deeds live in every human heart. Even the best people, even people who are converted by God, whoever you are, even the best people who have ever lived are capable of this. The seeds of those things, the seeds of the worst possible deeds are right now in your heart. We need not look at the brokenness of this world to see the reality of sin. For each of us can find it with just a quick look, a quick examination of ourselves. Sin's mastery leaves humanity deprived of spiritual vitality. It leaves us depraved to our very core, leaves us trapped in our brokenness and incapable of restoring our relationship with God on our own. As Ephesians 2 explains, we are dead in our transgressions. And like all the rest of this corrupted creation, wrapped in sin, we are by very nature deserving of wrath. And like that crippled man by the pool, there's not a single thing we can do on our own power to save ourselves. I'd like to welcome you all to No Hope Church. (laughs) We bring you no good news. (laughs) This is uncomfortable, isn't it? It should be uncomfortable. It drove our Savior to the cross. This should be uncomfortable, because here's here's the thing. We cannot shy away from the reality of sin. We cannot ignore the doctrine of sin as we bask in his gift of grace. For if you underestimate the sin in your life, you will also underestimate the grace of God toward you. If you hold a small view on sin, then your view of grace is likewise going to be small because it really doesn't need to cover all that much, does it? If you don't believe in sin, as many who don't believe in God hold, then you will naturally think that humans have the power to save and fix humans. And if we don't acknowledge sin for its pervasive, destructive, all-encompassing presence in this world, then when we look around, when we see the complete brokenness of everything, we fall into complete hopelessness. No hope. Just like the man who couldn't even give an answer to if he wanted to be healed because it was so long since he ever had that hope. Pastor Paul David Tripp helps us bring this point home. It's a lengthy quote, but it's worthwhile. He says this, Without the doctrine of sin, society puts its hope in education, in politics, in philosophy, in psychology, medicine, so on. All of these things are beneficial blessings from God, but they have no power whatsoever to rescue us from the darkness, the deceit, 
the destruction and the death that sin has rained down on us all. If, however, you believe that the most profound problem within every human being is sin and that none can escape independently, you will be left to conclude that our only hope is divine intervention. In a sin-scarred world full of brokenness, danger, disappointments, difficulty, and injustices, every cry is actually a cry for God, for His redeeming, rescuing, and restoring grace. The doctrine of sin tells us that the hope of humanity will never be delivered by humanity, but will come only through God's intervening grace. If sin is the problem, then God is our only hope. We are not without hope. But before we go there, before we go there, we must not shy away too quickly. So we are going to together pause, and we're going to do something we don't often do. We're going to have a mid-message time of prayer together. I want us to sit here a little bit longer, so I want to encourage you to close your eyes and to offer up your own personal prayer of confession. There is no sin that God doesn't know. There is no sin that he didn't go to the cross for. And so lay it all out there. Now, we're only going to do this for a minute or two, so really for most of us, we're just going to be getting started, right? It's not long enough to cover all our sins, but my encouragement is not at this moment to shy away from the pain of the examination. Instead, with open hands and open hearts, offer your prayer up to God as you seek repentance here and now. Let us pray. God of mercy, God of grace, hear now the prayers of your people. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, your delight in truth and the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. May it be so in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, after all that, 
you might be feeling what Paul was feeling when he wrote, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Will you read that with me? Join me in reading that. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? It is painful and, and to be honest about our sin. But John, John Newton helps us understand why we need not fear this. He was an 18th century pastor. He puts it this way. Christians put too little time and effort into examining themselves and seeking to grow in holiness and the fruit of the Spirit. But does such close examination mean that we are doomed to always feel inadequate, ashamed, and guilty? No, because deeper knowledge of sin leads to richer rejoicing in grace. Here again, what Paul says, Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Here is the good news for us today. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amid the bleak landscape of human fallenness, God's grace shines as a beacon of hope. As Ephesians 2, 4 through 5 declares, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace. It is by grace. It is by grace that you have been saved. Grace is God's unmerited favor extended to us despite our complete unworthiness, but it is even more amazing than just that. Look at how one pastor put it. Grace, it's not a Thing. It is not the stuff that God gives us apart from himself. It does, he doesn't run out of it. God gives us himself when we don't deserve it. That is grace. The oft-repeated definition of grace as an undeserved gift, it is right, but it doesn't go far enough when referring to the grace of God because grace is a gift. But God is not only the giver, he himself is the gift. God graces us with himself. The pinnacle of God's redemptive plan was found on Calvary, on the cross of Christ, on that rugged instrument of death with Jesus Christ placed there with the nails reserved for us, sin's power was definitively defeated. Second Corinthians 5 says, God made him who had no sin, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In that great exchange, the power of sin is buried by the power of grace. What does that tell us? Sin has its end. Grace does not. Grace has no beginning, has no end, because it is found in our God who is always forever infinite and everlasting. Grace has no 
end. After Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God did not have to put in a plan for redemption. But guess what? He did it anyway. When wickedness and evil were continually on the hearts of all people outside of Noah, he did not have to continue pursuing his redemptive plan through him, but he did it anyway. When Abraham and Sarah kept trying to take things into their own hands instead of trusting God, he didn't need to fulfill his covenant promises to them, but he did it anyway. Through all of Moses' doubts and all of his uncertainty, he didn't have to continue to walk and guide his people, but he did anyway. When David royally screwed up, and through Nathan realize the extent of what he does and seeks repentance and forgiveness, God did not need to forgive him, but he did it anyway. He did not need to send his son, but he did it anyway. Because God, grace isn't something he does. Grace is who he is. Jesus Christ reveals to us God's complete and total judgment. Sin must be punished, incompatible with the holy and perfect God. It cannot go freely. God is holy and completely just at all times, and so he extends his verdict. All who sin are guilty with treason against the king of kings, and the punishment is death. But because while also being fully just, he at the same time is completely merciful and gracious. God steps in and bears the punishment on our behalf so that we might be free of sin and shame forevermore. We must never, ever, ever underestimate the power of sin and the power of grace. For at the cross, Jesus Christ displays to us the profound reality of both and at the same time, his complete lordship over it all. He did not have to save us, but he did anyway. He saw us in our helplessness. He sees us in our hopelessness. He saw us dead, dead, dead. You know, in a Christmas carol, how dead is Bob Marley? Dead as a doornail. That's way deader than a doornail. We were dead in our sin. But with compassion in his heart, he comes to us and he asks, do you want to be healed? People of God, what is your answer? Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be saved? Do you want to be healed from the pervasive and powerful presence of sin? Then like the man on the mat, be transformed by the life-changing and life-giving powerful word of God. As he said to that man, get up. And I encourage you, if you're able, get up. Get out of your seats right now. Stand and believe that you have been healed. You have been saved. You have been 
freed, and now you, just like the healed man, are a living testimony that God has brought you from death to life. If you don't start cheering, I'm going to keep on going. That is the power of God that overcomes all sin. In the face of God, nothing stands a chance. This is the great news for us today. Your sin is gone. Your sin is gone. How far is it gone? It is bigger than the differences between cats and dogs. It is way greater than the difference between war and peace. For as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Will you celebrate this profound truth today? Will you believe this good news today? Will you allow his word to transform you once more today? Will you live as though sin is real, but God's grace is greater still? Will you be a living testimony so that others caught in sin those out there who don't yet believe might see in you what they need most of all. That's our response. We get up and we walk and we live as a living, breathing testimony to the reality of sin and the overwhelming, saving power of grace that is available for all. Because we know sin, the power of sin is incredibly vast. But God's grace is greater still. Through the inexhaustible grace of God, we find hope, liberation, and renewal. We are set free. We are given a new identity. We are given a new life. Though sin is great, his grace is greater. So we praise God for our Savior who saved a wretch like me. We praise God for his amazing grace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. People of God, let us pray. Oh God, <laughs> we don't even have words sometimes. We don't have the words to express who you are, what you have done, this grace that you have showered upon us in the giving of yourself. So just as we sat in silence, Lord, with our broken and contrite hearts, we now lift up to you a chorus of praise to say thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for seeing us and considering us and saving us. You did not need to, but you did it anyway. So may we respond as a living, breathing testimony that your grace is greater still. We praise you, Lord, in word. We praise you right now in our hearts, and now we prepare to praise you again in song. May you be well pleased with our worship today. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. <laughs>